Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and what the recap movie of your life would look like. With the Red Ribbon Army saga all wrapped up, Todd suggested taking on the 1996 Dragon Ball movie release, Path to Power. This movie recaps Goku's story all the way up to the final chapter of Commander Red. So strap yourselves in as we prepare to give our thoughts on this early Dragon Ball movie release. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And our coverage tonight will cover almost half of the story so far in the original Dragon Ball series. So if you want the most detailed experience, I'd suggest checking out our coverage of Dragon Ball all the way up to episode 68. If not, this should be a decent crash course to get you up to speed or maybe a good excuse to go back and watch this Dragon Ball film. And with that out of the way, ready to conclude our our journey with the Red Ribbon Army a second time, Todd? <laughs> I am so ready. So I just wanted to talk about a few details regarding the, the movie, The Path to Power, because I had to look up a few of these things uh, as I did not realize that The Path to Power was released in theaters in Japan on March 4th of 1996, which was just a month after the initial release of Dragon Ball GT's first episode on February 7th in 1996. I I originally thought that these two were like years apart. I thought Path to Power came out before Dragon Ball GT, not after, which I thought was interesting. And that not only does that blow my mind, but it blows my mind that Dragon Ball Z, the show that I had watched as a kid that got me addicted to all of this, was released in 1989. It was released before I was born. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And with that in mind, this movie actually came out after the three original Dragon Ball films, as well as all 13 of the original Dragon Ball Z films. And so, I mean, this this film was released as a celebration of the 10th anniversary of Dragon Ball. And oh boy, did they celebrate Dragon Ball in a fantastic way with this film. <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite Dragon Ball films. It's really well done. I mean, I I completely agree with that. It it almost, I mean, and to some degree it is, it almost feels like it was just animated in a whole different century. Yeah, it's it's visually completely different from the original Dragon Ball and even is in some many ways a step up from the animation that we see in modern Dragon Ball. Uh, but one of the things I thought was interesting here too is that Goku's character design and his his costume, his gi, as well as his pants and everything. It's it's the same in the Path to Power as it is in Dragon Ball GT. And that's, I thought that Dragon Ball GT went back and like took that character design from Path to Power. But because they came out almost at the same time, I, I imagine that Toei Animation was kind of using that same character design between the two. Yeah, I guess I never really caught that. I... I don't remember GT super well. I'd only kind of watched it in bits and pieces and never really super got into it. So it, I guess I never put that together. Yeah, that is really interesting that they used the same character design for Goku and GT as they did for this movie. And also they were released right next to each other. So it must have been just a studio decision. Yeah, I would imagine so. It, it probably meant that they were kind of trying to tie the two together when they were releasing them, uh, which 
they did a pretty good job of outside of uh well we won't talk about gt today but (laughs) i think that's all i had to say about the movie do we want to jump right into the content here dayton oh yeah and there are no episodes it just starts with some artfully watercolored mountains that we're used to seeing in the original dragon ball series kind of at the start and this traditional watercolor kind of background immediately gives way to a much more modern-looking, well-animated setting that almost looks alien to me compared to the the art quality that we were used to. And right away, you can tell that this this movie is a different animal. Yeah, and speaking of animals, the scene kind of shows a gigantic fish even getting some dialogue in the dub from the fish as it's thinking, I'm going to eat this animal, this tail, whatever is in the water. And we get a scene of the fish attacking Goku and him showing his Goku wiener while kicking the fish and uh, getting his dinner. And this kind of moves us forward to our main characters meeting on the road. Yeah, we're only, gosh, a minute into the movie and we're already getting a shot of Bulma going down the road, following her dragon radar to her inevitable collision with Goku. Quite literally, she strikes Goku with a car and crashes it. And Goku, pretty much hurt and kind of upset that something attacked him, just like in the series, says, all right, monster, I'm going to take care of you and begins attacking the car, picking it up and throwing it. And Bulma is just losing her mind. Yeah. And again, like you said, this is kind of covering the same events as the Dragon Ball anime The one detail that I liked in here is that Balma in the dub actually expresses that she believes that she's being mugged after the car gets thrown, which to me at least explains why in the world she would shoot a child with a gun. (laughs) Yeah, she was just defending herself. And also, even if this is a child, he did just pick up the car and throw her while she's in it. So I'm willing to give her credit on using the gun. I don't think a stern talking was going to be the initial jump to yeah yeah i can't really i can't really blame her there either but same as the show she gets out of the car she says i'm a girl goku kind of inspects her and mentions that his grandpa told him to be nice to girls and that's when they head back to goku's little shack of a home and find the four star dragon ball I also like how casually Goku says everyone has a tail except for my grandpa his fell off fell off because he was old <laughs> Yeah, I love that that's the excuse that his grandfather gave. <laughs> oh, I'm just too old. It fell off. Yeah, that's how that works. They all have tails. You're you're normal. <laughs> Don't worry about it. So we get the scene with Balma trying to use her, her feminine side to try and, I guess, scam the ball off of Goku. Once again, it's not working. And we see them come to the agreement where Goku will um, bring the ball with him and accompany Balma while she searches for the other Dragon Balls. And right away, we get the party kind of getting together and and heading out. Yeah, and I actually like this scene, too, because Balma explains a little bit more about where she got her two Dragon Balls from, from her uncle leaving a box in an attic, and then the fact that she did some reading to find out what these Dragon Balls do. Yeah, and I I do think that this is um, something that they did for, I guess, a more clean storytelling, I guess, rendition of the series, so... Rather than encountering Shenron and learning around him, it's just like, Bama's right up on it, and here's what it is, and let's go. 
yeah it's it's quick this movie moves at a fast pace uh which is is both good and bad especially since we've just come off watching this chunk of the series it's it's nice that we aren't like stuck in the mud learning all of this stuff over again yeah and i do want to make a i guess a an anime comparison at the end once we get through all this because i there is something that i do compare this to but we'll, we'll get there in a minute yeah absolutely and we basically get the exchange of names from Goku and Balma. Goku laughs at Balma's name again, and they are basically off on their capsule bike. And we cut from to a quick scene, this time being different from the anime, where it shows Commander Red, and we are familiar with him from our watch of Dragon Ball from the Red Ribbon Army, and they are looking for the Dragon Balls. So that seems like it's going to be our primary conflict here. Yeah, so it's straight from Goku's house to encountering the Red Ribbon Army is kind of the, the direction that this is already showing us that it's going. Yeah, yeah, that's cutting a lot of content there, it feels like. But putting that content back into place, we get Balma and Goku running into a giant bull in the road. And this bull is basically saying... Hey, give me that woman. <laughs> <laughs> and Goku, of course, not perturbed by anything, decides to not back down from the challenge. And this is where kind of the uh, the cat's out of the bag. The bull, realizing that Goku's not going to back down, transforms into a certain robot that threatens to put them in his soup if they if he doesn't give over the girl. Yeah. I thought honestly the I was finally still catching up to the pace that this movie was moving at. And when this reveal happened, I was just like, all right, we're not wasting time. Like, I don't know how many episodes it was before we ran across our third party member, Oolong. But holy cow, we got here in five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I think this is between five and ten minutes into the movie. And we've already got Oolong. We skip his whole side quest of finding a harem to take care of his house and here <laughs> he's just we, after Balma. I don't think we're missing out on anything. It's fine. No, absolutely not. <laughs> and Goku basically sees the, the robot burn his thumb in his soup and he's like, you're pretty weak, right? So Goku demonstrating how powerful he is, grabs a boulder, throws it up into the air and with a single finger turns it into dust. Yeah, Goku right off the bat in this this storytelling is very, very strong. And as we'll see, it's I think it's kind of necessary for him to be this strong because of the way they tell the story. Yeah, I would agree. And so at this point, Oolong says, hey, I'm out of here. I don't want to fight this crazy kid. He turns into a bat, begins to fly away. And then his five-minute transformation time limit hits as he turns back into the wee little pig that we know and expresses, hey, you know, I'm not a threat. I can transform. I can't do it very well. Sorry. <laughs> so I think at around this point, we get our first shot of Yamcha and Poir arriving on scene. And they arrive in explosive fashion with a missile launcher. <laughs> and so there's this big fiery explosion their vehicle is is toast and Yamcha demands that they hand over their capsule capsules because he recognized the vehicle they were using 
and knew it came in a set. And I don't know why I like this detail, but I do. There's a lot of fun little details in here. There's actually a line, too, as he attacks with his sword and kind of misses both Oolong and Goku. Yamcha comes back and says, the second swing is going to be a home run, which I just <laughs> love as a reference to his baseball career later. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. It's nice making a movie with a little bit of future knowledge. Yeah, yeah. There's some good <laughs> hindsight worked into this guy, and I love it. So Goku and Yamcha have a brief fight, and I will say this is one of the best-looking wolf fang fists that we have seen in Dragon Ball. It looks spectacular. You get this kind of, um, this really well-done image of the wolf kind of formed over Yamcha, but it's very menacing this time. There's a lot of darker tones, and just the, the, the entire animation process from wolf to strike was very well done. It's gorgeous. It, it probably is the best Wolf Fang Fist that we've seen animated. And honestly, my only complaint about this fight is that I would have loved to seen more of it because <laughs> it is brief. We basically get Goku getting knocked into one of these giant stone mushroom pillars. He chucks it out of the way, has a really cool shot of him riding his power pole back into the battle. And then... As Yamcha goes in for another Wolf Fang Fist, that's when we get the scene of Bulma waking up and Yamcha losing his nerve to a pretty girl. Yep, so Poir drags him onto a hover scooter and they bounce out of there and the, the adventure continues. Well, of course, after Bulma takes note of how cute Yamcha was. Yeah, and I actually made a, a marker in my notes here where this is by the end of this this was the 18 minute marker and i was like holy crap we've covered so much content in 18 minutes <laughs> but yeah it keeps going even quicker because after yamcha bounces off kind of stumbling over himself um we get a scene where goku bama and oolong are looking for another dragon ball they're in this flowered field and we kind of get why Oolong's tagging along at this point as Bulma's actual feminine side is working on the pig. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Bulma is not being subtle about it by any means. She's uh, using whatever she can to get the tools at her disposal to find these Dragon Balls. And so they find one in the field and then they move forward, driving in a van to a snowy location kind of like in the mountains, it looks like, as they look for another Dragon Ball using the Dragon Radar. And this time, they run into some opposition in the form of the Red Ribbon Army. Yeah, um, it, once again, I'm caught off guard by how quickly things are going. We get a shot of the Red Ribbon Army kind of out on patrol, and we get a nice clean shot of what, if anyone's seen the original Dragon Ball series, what is obviously Muscle Tower and the soldiers at this tower immediately start opening up uh, with all their guns and cannons and weapons. Their van is just pretty much shot to nothing. And we get, I guess the, the party members are scattered kind of into the surrounding area. And they basically say, if you don't hand over the Dragon Balls, we're going to, well, kill all of you. And Goku's not worried. He's just kind of off to the side making snowballs. <laughs> yeah, so we we are both getting the expression here that Goku is very powerful and also very much still a child. 
But at this point, Balma yells at Goku saying, hey, beat the crap out of these soldiers. (laughs) And boy, does he. This is an awesome scene where Goku just punches and kicks soldiers left and right. He's dodging bullets here and there. uses his power pole to destroy what I call these Star Wars walker droid things. (laughs) They do look like those, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, though, that... um... I thought the scene looked fantastic, but for some reason, the Goku power pull sweep scene in the actual series, I still think it just feels more iconic to me. I don't know what about it just felt so good. This was amazing, but that original Goku charging the tower in the series, there's so much more buildup that it felt a little bit more meaningful. Maybe this does look better, but it does it doesn't feel as meaningful because we are moving at such a fast pace. I'll give you that. I I want to talk about this a little bit more as we get to the end too, but there's there's less payoff here because we don't get to see like Goku training and stuff. So it feels just like, well, yeah, he's a strong kid beating people up, but I want to talk about that more as we get to the end. But I mean, it's great because at this point every every fiber of the show up to this point is animated with a lot of care. There's nothing that's really standing out as, oh, I didn't like that, or that's a repeated animation or anything. No. It looks fantastic. All of it. Yeah, every every moment, every detail, every frame seems very well detailed. And there, after Goku basically beats up these soldiers kind of in front of this giant tower, we do get a shot of the full form of Muscle Tower, which looks fantastic as well. And Goku charges towards the tower as this gate comes careening down. And as the gate closes, Goku just continues his run straight up the tower, (laughs) getting to the second floor. I died laughing when I saw this scene. It just looks super fun and hilarious. He's like, well, I guess I'll just go up then. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. And just Goku even gets to the top and he just like, like stops for a moment on the ice and just kind of lets loose a little chuckle. Goku's having a great time right now. Yeah, it's excellent. And Goku makes his way into the tower here where he is greeted by a gigantic muscled man who kind of knocks the metal door out of the way as Goku knocks it in. And this is not, I expected this fight to go a little bit differently, but basically as this guy attacks (laughs) Goku, Uh, I I full veto this fight. I full veto this. This is probably one of the areas where I will say it just the payoff was not very great because I had a such a hearty laugh seeing Metalatron in the original series as just kind of this robotic Arnold Schwarzenegger and just even the accent was hilarious. I had so much fun with it. And now it's just kind of like a buff dude in a tank top. And it just is. Was there a reference that I missed or am I off here? I don't think there was, honestly. I think they just changed it. And this is, honestly, this is probably my biggest disappointment in the whole movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's not even like a big disappointment, because it's not like Metalatron was an important character, right? No. It was maybe slightly important to show Goku that, you know, he needs to improve and there's more power beyond what he has, but... At the same time, we're in a movie, like we're moving pretty quick here. We've got some villains that do that much better that they could be showing. Yeah, I agree. But if you're going to do the cameo, make them look like them. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I maybe they were trying to get rid of the cameos. I, I don't know what their intent was here, but even the fight here is pretty lackluster to me as Goku basically just dodges away from one of the major's punches, lands on his shoulder, punches him in the face, and the major's head falls clean off. <laughs> I mean, I think the best part is that he does do the uh, scissors, papers, rock, and then punches him. So we get to see kind of that, well, probably one of the oldest techniques that Goku knows kind of put into play. The funny thing here in this movie is that the rock, paper, scissors is basically his signature technique because he hasn't trained with Roshi yet. He doesn't have the Kamehameha. That's uh, true. But... Yeah. So it, we do get to see him use kind of the rock, paper, scissors quite a few times. Um, but this fight is 30 seconds long. It, it's next to nothing compared to the Metallotron fight in the anime. But it, it, like I said, it's not the biggest deal because Metalatron isn't the most important character. I just had a lot of fun with Metalatron in the series. So I would have liked it could be the same fight, but Metalatron looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger and I love it. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Honestly, I I wanted to see a cooler fight here because the animation looks so good. I was like, oh, this yes. is their chance. Give me a cool fight with this awesome animation. But <laughs> we don't get it here, unfortunately. Oh, well, but either way, with Metallotron feet defeated, Goku continues on to the next uh, part of the tower, which isn't all the mazes and weird stuff that I guess we had seen in the show. Goku almost immediately encounters. Um, did they is this General White? Is that who this is supposed to be? It's supposed to be General White. Yeah, it's the same character with a very different character design. But the dub, I believe, gives him the same voice. Oh, really? Okay, because I was really thrown off by it because at this point, they kind of previewed him a little bit up to this point, like a couple, like, three-second shots as Goku was getting close to the tower. And I was just like, oh, wow, they're actually doing a new character. Okay, all right, let's see where this goes. And then I think it's General White. Did they ever say that? I don't think they say it in the movie. I did look it up, though, and people were saying, like, hey, this is General White with a different character design, basically. So... I I believe that that's their intent, is that it's supposed to be General White. Okay, it makes sense. He's the head honcho of Muscle Tower, so I'm just going to call him General White. And White. at this point, um, he's pretty much out of options, and he's going to unleash uh, the Red Ribbon's secret weapon. And this is where we're shown Android 8 from the original series. And he keeps his original form looking exactly like Frankenstein's monster. This is an awesome introduction to Android 8 as well. In my opinion, much better than it is in the anime. Very different. Very, very different. Oh, yeah. Very different. Because Android 8, while in the anime, was immediately introduced to us as a pacifist, Android 8 here beats the snot out of Goku for a few minutes. Yeah, it's just a full-out offensive using, like, thrusters to, like, like fly into Goku, battering him to the ground, and even lifting him up, and with a grip that's too strong for even Goku to break, even starts strangling Goku pretty much to the edge of his life. Yeah, honestly, the only thing that stops Android 8 from either knocking Goku unconscious or straight killing him is it almost seems like android 8's conscience comes online as he's about ready to take this life and 
he he kind of talks for the first time and says i don't i don't feel right about this i don't want to kill someone yeah um what was once just kind of uh white um lifeless eyes you see the pupils kind of fade back in and android 8 says he can't kill a living being because it would be cruelty and he cannot commit cruelty and so we see this kind of backing down this kind of stepping back from android 8 as he drops goku who like i said was kind of pushed to the edge of his life and we see General White kind of whipping and hitting him and telling him what a worthless piece of junk you are. And if you don't finish the job, I'm going to detonate the bomb that's in your chest. And at this point, we see Ader kind of choose like, yeah, I'd rather go ahead and detonate the bomb. Like, I'm not doing this. And we see General White kind of step back being like, all right, well, you know, that's it. I'm done with you. You're useless to us. And just before he can hit the button, Goku kind of leaps into action, knocking the trigger switch from his hand and saving Android 8. Right. He uses power pull to great effect here, hitting the detonator and then wax eight or wax General White in the face. And this kind of begins the friendship here between 8 and Goku. We cut fast forwarding to outside muscle tower where we see the soldiers have been tied up and Goku's playing in the snow, making snowballs as eight explains that he doesn't want to hurt people. And we kind of get Goku naming our Android Ader instead of Android eight. But I did want to point out, he does say it's either Ader or the strangler. <laughs> <laughs> I did laugh at that. I thought that was pretty uh, excellent. <laughs> just Goku just not realizing, not not really knowing social cues. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we'll just call you the strangler. It's no big deal. But I mean, it's like, that's what a kid would do. He just, somebody who's never really encountered like a society and he's a kid, he doesn't know about like, that's not offensive. It's just a name I thought of. You ate her because, you know, you're number eight or the strangler because you strangled me. Whatever works. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic. It felt like a very Goku thing to say. So it, it felt very appropriate here. And the scene, I like this scene because we stopped for a second because up till this point, Goku like very rapidly been fighting people and just kind of kicking a bunch of ass. And we kind of have this pause, like a, a very lighthearted point in the movie where Goku's making jokes and rolling around snowballs. And he's like, Ader is his friend now. And they have like, they have like a little snowball fight. And it's just, I don't know. It's kind of wholesome. Yeah, it's, it's great. I enjoy watching them kind of throw snow at each other. And we, we get to hear Balma and Oolong kind of talking about it and talking about, you know, Goku still just being a kid, despite how strong he is. and. I think Balma says something to the effect of, yeah, he's, you know, he's just a regular kid. And Oolong replies with a line that I absolutely loved, which was, yeah, a regular kid who conquers a military base with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. hundred percent correct. Uh, I will say though, we are like a half hour into this movie and uh, we have five Dragon Balls at this point. Yeah, so on the Dragon Ball front, we're moving fast, too. Uh, and as our characters kind of leave Muscle Tower with five Dragon Balls, moving on to find the next one, they almost run into, again, hitting someone with their vehicle, a sea turtle as we meet our friend Turtle. You mean a tortoise, right? <laughs> 
I, okay, that joke just did not work on me. <laughs> I was like, hey. they have this gag where the sea turtle keeps saying that he's actually a tortoise, but it just, it does not work. He's got flippers. He's obviously a sea turtle. Yeah, it's a it's a weird gag. The only, like, the one part that I like about this gag is that nobody really pays attention to the sea turtle saying this. <laughs> Which, That's that part fair. of the gag, yeah, that part worked on me. <laughs> uh, but we get the, uh, the bring the sea turtle back to the ocean quest um, granted to the party, which also happened in the Dragon Ball series. But this time, it, there's no... What was it? Didn't they fight like a giant cat or something like that in the series around that time? And it's kind of a long process in the series. It, I think it takes two or three episodes. But in here, it's just like, all right. And then the next scene is they're at the ocean. And Turtle says, hey, thank you for bringing me here. In the morning, I'll be back with your your gift or your prize or whatever for helping me. And so they spend the night on on the uh, well, the shore of the beach in, in their camping van or whatever it is. Right. And because it's an incredibly vital scene to the story. Yes. We do get the scene of Goku going to sleep with Balma and finding that Balma has no balls and the <laughs> dragon balls are what Balma believes he's talking about, mm -hmm. but they are still present. So she is no longer worried, thinking they both had a bad dream. So with uh, that important scene out of the way, we get to a less important scene, which is it's the morning and Turtle is on his way back. And we get our first shot of Master Roshi in the movie riding on Turtle's back. And yeah, as soon as he hops off of Turtle, he recognizes Goku's power pull. And this is where Roshi figures out that his former pupil, Gohan, was Goku's grandpa. And so we right away get that connection. Yeah, this moves quick. Uh, this is this is a good scene with Roshi. Uh, Roshi basically says, hey, you know, thank you for helping Turtle. I'm going to give you a reward. He starts to call this immortal bird, and then that kind of ends in a whole gag where the bird died. It's, it's the bird of immortality, but it died last year from food poisoning. <laughs> and he's I like, oh, Chuck's. He's like, oh, shucks, I guess no eternal life for you. <laughs> <laughs> so as a consolation prize, he summons the flying Nimbus. And we get to see the, uh, just like from the anime, Roshi tries to hop on the Nimbus, but he has been thinking some impure thoughts. So, Oh, my. Yeah. And Balma can't ride it either. And Ulan Goku wants to try. eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they did that in the anime too. Goku thinks that it is food, which not surprised. But Goku's able to hop on. We get a, a pretty visually impressive scene of Goku flying the Nimbus through the water. And yeah, it looks, I mean, just every little detail looks good. Goku flying the Nimbus through the water looks great. So at this point, Goku gets his Nimbus, um, <clears throat> Balma gets her Dragon Ball, and Roshi gets his, uh, well, view of some lady bits. <laughs> he gets an eyeful, that's for sure. I, I will say, did you write down the line? Because I oh, did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go for it. You go for it. Because I love this line. <laughs> uh, it's just... <laughs> <Sorry about that. laughs> 
<laughs> I had just, to write it down. <laughs> he just, just says, oh, my pathetic life is a little brighter. Oh, that's not even the line that I wrote down. <laughs> but that's a good one, too. Uh, basically, as Balma flashes the goods to Roshi, Balma ends up walking away with the Dragon Ball that Roshi had on his neck, and she makes it into the van. There's a pause, like this perfect comedy timing pause and then a scream from the van as Balma realizes that she is not wearing underpants and then she comes out from the van screaming I want every single one of those mental pictures back <laughs> that part was good too <laughs> uh, the writing in the scene was just top notch oh. yeah <laughs> yeah they did a good job for the writing in this I mean this this whole like pervy get the dragon ball situation excellent dialogue <laughs> <laughs> i mean considering how awkward some of these scenes can be they handled this very well so yeah. i'm just <laughs> uh, but anyway there's no time for talking about bulma's lady bits the red ribbon army arrives at our hero's location and they immediately begin launching a beach assault with an armada of warships and i don't know if they're yeah, we are skipping the whole, like, going underwater, looking for the Dragon Ball, pirate chase, submarine chase. Like, we have just chopped out probably hours of Dragon Ball, and we are just, like, just fast-forwarding to the Red Ribbon Army attacking pretty much in full force at this point. We might just need to have a brief moment of silence for the pirate robot. <laughs> I love that character. All right, never mind. This movie sucks. No pirate robot. It, it, it gets zero out of one pirate robots from me. Yeah, that I do love the pirate robot, but it is also <laughs> not relevant to the plot here as the Red Ribbon <laughs> Army just starts shooting rockets and missiles at our cast on the beach. And Goku basically, or... Goku says to Master Roshi, like, hey, you know, you trained my grandpa Gohan. Isn't there something that you can do? And Roshi's like, you're goddamn right I can. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we get to see Roshi kind of jumping out of their, their little hidey hole. And he's just, like, stripped down to his boxers. Heck, yeah. And we see him bulk out in his muscle form. And we see him just pull the arms back. And we get to see a very well-animated Kamehameha wave coming out of this old man. It looks very... I don't know if it's the best one we've seen so far, though. I think the series might have edged it out a little bit, but it looked fantastic. Also, credit to the um, the English dub on this. The guy who does Roshi's voice for this Kamehameha wave sells it. The guy freaking nailed it. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I To me, I think this might be the best one that we've seen from... OG Dragon Ball, at least. This looks great. The the light effects on the Kamehameha, the the water as he basically like blows the ships away. The water's and, fantastic. Yeah, it's oh primo, primo animation on this one. Really well done. <laughs> I, I might have to give uh Mount Fire a little leg up in my eyes. They're both fantastic, but there's almost this pause to appreciate it because it's the first Kamehameha we've ever seen and they did it such justice. And it's also from an animation team that doesn't have the budget 
And on top of that, um, they're almost a decade earlier in technology and they still made it look fantastic. So nothing against this one, but there's a probably a little bit of sentimental value that outweighs the other one. And I mean, shoot, the fact that I'm comparing it to probably my favorite Kamehameha wave means that it's pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah. The I'll give you that because, yeah, there's there's a lot of factors that add to the Fire Mountain Kamehameha. But it, it, I, it's com- it comes down to pacing with this movie. If they slow it down for just a minute and really appreciate that Kamehameha wave, it's the best animated. I'll give it that. Right. But it we it should be appreciated because it's the first one. And we see the Red Ribbon Army's armada more or less kind of put into shambles, not completely destroyed, but a bulk of the fleet is either destroyed by the wave itself or dragged down to the depths from the whirlpool and the the collateral damage that comes from it. And at this point, we get a we get our first sneak peek at a familiar character, right? Yeah, yeah. As the ships get taken down by the Kamehameha, we get to see a very familiar face. And I had to do almost a double take here. Yes. But it is General Blue on the ship. And he's not finished yet because the <laughs> submarines then emerge from the water as General Blue kind of commands them to continue firing on our party members. And I mean, it's one of those things where when they previewed General Blue, I didn't realize I was going to be excited to see him. I think I like that character a lot more than I had realized. I was pretty stoked. I was like, was that General Blue? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like great character in the series. And I'm really glad to see him in the movie. And there's a lot of throughout this movie. We're seeing tidbits of other characters and stuff that maybe we spent more time with. But it's always I get it. Like, I, there's that excitement of seeing somebody that you you appreciate, even though it's not their story. It's glad we're glad to see them there. But it's Absolutely. at around this time where we see Goku kind of out on the beach, and there's fire raining around him, and the the remnants of the armada still raining hell, and everybody but Goku's fleeing. Goku's kind of sitting there, and this scene I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Goku is kind of fiddling with his hands, putting them together in different ways. He's kind of got this kind of curious look on his face and you see him kind of stop and you see him kind of smirk and he puts his hands back and he starts charging up for a Kamehameha wave. And you're just like, all right, I don't remember this happening, but OK, let's see what happens. And we get to see Goku launching, I would say damn near equal Kamehameha power to Master Roshi on his very first try, figuring it out just on the beach, pretty much sinking the rest of the fleet at this point. Yeah, and it's it's certainly close in power. I feel like visually it's meant to be diminished a little bit from Roshi's, but Roshi expresses that he's completely tapped out after he fires his, and Goku's looks great it's fun to see him on the beach messing around like kind of going through the motions trying to emulate what roshi was doing and then just nailing it i mean this is basically the equivalent in the anime of when master roshi fires the kamehameha at fire mountain and then goku does fire a kamehameha at bulma's car (laughs) (laughs) yeah like putting a dent into the side of it knocking it over (laughs) yeah so in terms of scale, we're way out of proportion here, but it's a really cool moment in this movie. 
it, I mean, it gets across the same idea of Goku knocking over the car, right? Where, and Master Roshi even thinks this um, in the movie and mentions it kind of in the show that it took him 50 years to develop the Kamehameha wave. So this was something that it took him a chunk of his life and Goku was able to see it once and replicate it. It's different scales versus uh, when you're comparing the movie to the series, but it's the same idea. You get that same effect that Goku is to some degree, some sort of weird fighting savant or something like that, or weirdo, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, absolutely. And with that chunk of the red ribbon army taken out, Goku's busy celebrating. And as he does, so he gets cracked in the back of the head with a rocket that knocks him out cold and <laughs> the red ribbon army isn't finished as we see red ribbon army planes come flying down and firing on our party and they basically tell them to surrender as none other than general blue walks yes! onto the scene <laughs> oh i love it so at this point general blue still a badass has the crew at gunpoint goku's unconscious off to the side and our heroes, aside from Goku, are taken captive. General Blue wins the day, and he has the party's Dragon Balls. Yeah. and Oh, and Yamcha's there. He's taken, too. <laughs> he tries to sneak attack, and he fails because Balma. But yeah, yeah mm -hmm. not important. <laughs> we basically cut over, then, to... Goku wakes up, he finds the dragon radar, and that's how he's going to track down his friends. But it moves scenes to the Red Ribbon Army HQ as Blue delivers five Dragon Balls to Commander Red, and he clearly missed one that was on the beach. And as Blue walks up the steps to deliver the balls to Commander Red... Commander Red expresses, hey, you failed and didn't get all of the balls. And also, don't walk up my steps and stand next to me, you tall motherfucker. <laughs> and this next scene blew my mind where guards are ushered in and Blue is disgraced and then dragged off. And in the background, you hear the sound of gunfire. I think it's safe, safe to assume that Blue is no more at this point. Yeah, yeah. So this, I mean, this definitely takes Blue down a peg where he was successful against Goku and gang, but I don't think they could have just shot and killed him in the anime, at least no. not with how powerful he was. So, yeah, yeah. We don't see any of Blue's uh, mind magic or anything like that. It's just he's just kind of the general at the forefront. He gets his five minutes, but... You know, most of the Dragon Balls isn't all of them, so bad job, General. That's right. I also like here, too, that Commander Red makes another nod to the show as he says to Staff Officer Black, hey, contact Violet. I want her to get on that last Dragon Ball or those last Dragon Balls. So they they bring in Violet into the, the mix here, too, which is fun. Yeah, and that leads us right into Goku following the Dragon Raider on his newly acquired Nimbus Cloud. And we see him right away encountering Red Ribbon uh, aircraft, and he's just swatting them from the sky with his power pole. It looks fantastic. I love it. It feels like the action is almost nonstop in this movie. 
Oh yeah, it's like breakneck speed. Goku rides on a rocket that's fired at him and runs it into one of the planes and he smacks into a cockpit and you can see at least from what I assume here is violet in the plane. You yes, see that was absolutely violet. That was definitely the the nod to like, yep, there's violet, there she is and uh she's gone. Yep. <laughs> As her plane explodes getting attacked by Goku. So I I like that little detail, but uh, we basically also get to see a scene as it cuts over to Balma and the gang trapped in a prison cell, kind of akin to the way that they were trapped in a prison cell in the Pilaf saga in uh, Pilaf's kind of fortress previous. That is true. And now that you mentioned that, yeah, they skipped all the Pilaf stuff and just went straight to Red Ribbon, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, I know how much you love the Pilaf gang, Dane, uh, so... Uh, yeah, it's it's a better <laughs> it's a better tale. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we get, um, what is it, a scene of Oolong trying to transform into a key to get them out of the cell, but he's bad at shape-shifting. But at the same time, Poir's there, and I think Poir's pretty good at shape. What is going on? I had the exact same thought where I'm like, <laughs> why in the world is Poir not the one transforming into a key? Although I wonder if they, so I don't think we see Poir transform in the movie at all. Do we? Great question. I don't think we do. Um, yeah. I think Poir doesn't transform. I don't think so. Uh, although they do reference that Poir got bullied by Oolong in transformation school. So I don't know. It's weird. It, it almost seems like they're kind of going with the idea that Poir doesn't transform or maybe Oolong not being able to transform well was like an artificial obstacle. It's strange. It's a weird detail. I'm just going to assume that it was an excuse to do a gag and then um, move on because it's it's not super important, but it does make you scratch your head. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But it cuts over to the fun action scene with Goku flying through the forest. And again, another Star Wars reference here, because this looks to me very much akin to like the speeder bike chase in the original Star Wars movies, as these red ribbon soldiers are kind of flying through the woods, chasing Goku on their planes. And Goku uses his power pole, throwing it up into the air, extending it out and sticking it between two trees as two of the three planes crash through the power pole, getting clotheslined by it. This is awesome. <laughs> it, it just looks fantastic. I mean, it's just so simple, right? Just, well, here's a trap. You want to know the worst part about this, though? What? They, they never show Goku going back to get his power pole. Oh, shit. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> he does that and then just continues off and still has it later. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I did not see that. I, I wonder if they just sort of like, well, he'll he'll recover it off screen. Yeah, he throws up his power pole, like, you know, kills two planes. I'm like, oh, your power pole. No. And then they're just like, meh, he just still has it. <laughs> okay. That's how that works. It's it's magic, right? It can teleport. Yeah. I mean, we... I don't know. They're skipping a lot of stuff. Let's. I'm fine with them skipping the scene where he goes back to grab it. Yeah, I mean they're they're not giving us all the details because again <laughs> we're moving fast here. Oh jeez. But, but you think uh uh that's cool. We get a scene where Goku's pursued by dozens of aircraft into um, a cave near the ocean side, and Goku darts into this cave. All these planes file in behind him, and we see Goku kind of turn around start charging up a Kamehameha, and then, boom, we get this giant explosion kind of 
God erupting from the, the cliff side. And then we get Goku racing against the explosion, kind of diving out the other side of the cave up through the air as the explosion chases after him. It's really fun. It's really cool. And I'm not going to lie. Either I had Star Wars on the brain while watching this or Toei Animation had Star Wars on the brain while making this because when Goku comes out of the hole there too, it very much reminded me of like the Death Star hole that uh, that Luke comes flying out of. So I was like, huh. But it's fun. They look great. So I'm not complaining. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, draw if you're going to draw from something, draw from greatness. Yeah, basically. Oh, geez. But I think at around this point, um, let's see here. It looks like Goku's going to start taking the battle to the ground. We get Goku landing before the ground forces of the Red Ribbon Army, which are countless soldiers and tanks and, I guess, ground equipment. It's an entire sea of soldiers. And Goku stops and he's just like, like yeah, go ahead. Try me. And the army opens fire and we get Goku kind of dancing around all these explosions and gunshots and using the power pole that he totally went back and got and smashing tanks to the side and just knocking people. It is so exciting. I It's hard for me to even talk about it because it's like you said, it happens at breakneck speed. Oh, yeah. And it almost is like the camera is just panning around Goku as just this destruction is happening. And he's got like some cool spin throw moves with the power pole. There's a point where he hits a rock up into the air to block bullets. This is just fantastic action from Dragon Ball with great animation. And at this point, as Goku kind of finishes mostly finishes up dealing with the foot soldiers. We move to Balma and the gang escaping with the Oolong key and meeting up with Goku as he's pretty much putting all of this pile of tanks to bed <laughs> and has more or less dealt with the red ribbon army at this point. Yeah. And this is where we get kind of a weird, um, it's similar to the series, but different in some ways. We get um, Assistant Black uh, discussing with Commander Red um, the option of actually fleeing and running away. And in the movie, Commander Red immediately agrees, saying, we've got to get out of here and I'm going to get the Dragon Balls and we're going to leave. Whereas in the series, he, he was very reluctant. He was very resistant. He was kind of in his head over the power of his army. There's no way it could be defeated. Whereas in this show, he kind of accepts that outcome very quickly. And so we get Assistant Black and Commander Red heading to the escape shuttle. Right. And this is where Red reveals, just kind of out of anxiety at this point, that he's never going to get to make his wish to be taller. And... Staff Officer Black at that point is like, that is why you wanted the Dragon Balls so that you could wish to be taller and not to control the world. Not just taller, gargantuan. Oh, yeah. I think he says something like seven foot six or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but yes, once again, and I like that they kept this because there's there's a trope throughout all of the original Dragon Ball where Everybody who pursues the Dragon Balls is going to make a petty wish. And this was Commander Red's wish in the original Dragon Ball series. And they bring it right back. And we get a very similar outcome when Assistant Black 
learns about Commander Red's wish, and that is pulling out a gun and executing the commander. Yeah, and I mean, this is, while it's not necessarily graphic, it is kind of gruesome in a way as he just puts a bullet right through the commander's head. (laughs) And in the movie, there's a much more, like, they they create more distance from sanity with Assistant Black as far as the state of mind during this event. In the show, it it's it's almost like frustration, like the last straw, like I can't take anymore. I'm done with you. Whereas in the movie, it's the um like my my entire reality is shattered. I put everything into you and just this reveal is too much for me and my marbles are gone. They're spilled. I don't know where my marbles are. They, they've they evacuated everything. And we kind of see him lose his mind in this one. Yeah, I'm all about Staff Officer Black without his marbles. This is this is great. And the the voice acting for this is fun to listen to as he's kind of like cackling maniacally as he gets into what looks like some sort of rocket ship that kind of launches itself away from the base, but not too far away. It basically lands on this kind of outcropping of land. And then from there, our heroes see rising up from the ground a gigantic robot, much larger than we saw in the anime, as Staff Officer Black, or now Commander Black, as he's calling himself. King Black, Commander Black. That's right. (laughs) As he gets ready to take on our hero goku yeah and the the entrance of at this point commander black that's what i'm going to refer um staff officer black when he's in the mech that is commander black it's fantastic we see the first things first the mech looks better than it does in the series um it's even larger and more imposing and right away we get this I thought this looked gorgeous where he unleashes this laser weapon across the landscape and we see the laser shoot and then like almost like brief delay and then kind of the the eruption happen and smoke going in all direction. We see the landscape exploding. The animation is top notch. This was made in 1996. Holy crap. Yeah, it's wild, man. Like the lighting on that scene, the side profile of the robot as it fires the laser and the glow. I think it's like a pinkish fuchsia color as it Mm -hmm. cuts through the land. It's beautiful. And after that, the robot from its chest emits a bunch of rockets shooting out of just multiple portholes and just starts destroying the land all around it, blowing things up. And that's when Goku says, hey, I've had enough. Like, you're not going to hurt my friends. And he comes in and he gets clobbered right off the bat. (laughs) He basically gets punched back into his Nimbus cloud as Nimbus catches him, which is actually another really cool scene. Yeah, and it looks good because in the series, Goku kind of climbs on the cockpit and makes um, Commander Black, like, punch himself in the head. And it's, there's almost a comical element to it, right? Whereas in this, it's it feels all serious business. Um, Goku tries to climb on the mech, and he gets, like, swatted away, basically. And now Goku's kind of flying around the mech. It is a little comical because um, Commander Black is trying to hit Goku while he's on the Nimbus Cloud, but he can't do it. And it's 
it's a little silly, but it's the whole scene is much more serious than what it was in the series. Yeah, the tone is much, much more serious, much darker in a way. And especially because in the anime, the robot really didn't stand a chance against Goku. But here we get Goku firing off another Kamehameha and it does nothing to the robot. And Commander Black at this point offers for Goku to join his army. And there's a really great line here from Goku that I like that kind of explains uh, some of his character throughout the show. As he says, Grandpa said not to help guys like you unless you change your ways. Oh, I love it. So everything Goku is that we know Goku to be, that the groundwork has just been laid. Yeah, again, like you said, Dayton, this this movie has a lot of hindsight behind it. And this line basically expresses all of the stupid shit that Goku has done in terms of like giving Cell a sensu bean, letting Frieza off the hook multiple times, letting Vegeta live after he murdered multiple friends of Goku's. And it all comes back to Grandpa Gohan, which I love. Oh, I mean, it just, it explains why that, that is built into Goku's core. He was taught that since as young as he could probably remember. That's why when Frieza, one of the worst people that probably in the Dragon Ball series, just dastardly had done everything wrong, double crossing, killed children, would lie. When Frieza begged for help and promised that he would change his ways, even uh, that's why Goku felt it in his core. He could not let Frieza just die like that. Oh, I love it. It's a beautiful line, man. Like, I know that this is coming after all of Dragon Ball and all of Dragon Ball Z, but what a way to fucking tie that character beat into his story. I, I love it. It's so well done. And that kind of moves us forward with the robot basically pummels Goku into the ground and just shoots him with a bunch of bullets. Uh, Goku, not too much worse for wear, but at this point, the robot begins charging its laser beam. And we get an unexpected guest fighter in this fight, saving our hero, Goku. Yeah, um, we get basically right before the final blast can be fired. Aider flies onto the scene, knocking the big mecha back. And at this point, kind of saving Goku's life, who's kind of not really with it, not really there. And Aider kind of takes this brief pause in the battle and he kind of pulls Goku up, who's not really, not really conscious really at this point. And Aider decides that he's, he's going to fight back. He's going to fight for Goku. And... At this point, Commander Black's mech is kind of being beaten back just for a moment as Aider shows the destructive power that he has. But Commander Black is not giving up, and he even calls uh, Aider the infamous infamous Android 8, the flaw, giving him that title. Oh, I really like it. It's so good. And... Ader has a great response to that as he's just fighting back, being crushed by the hands of this giant robot. And he just says, my name is Ader. 
and that's when his body is crushed and destroyed. Ader basically is no more. Uh, the top half of his body kind of falling to the ground, and Goku kind of goes over to him to have a last little conversation as Ader addresses Goku saying, Hi, Goku. Are you okay? And Goku says, yeah, I'm fine. And Ader's last words are, I'm so glad as the lights go off. Oh, geez. Yeah. Obviously, this didn't happen in a series. But oh, my God, this this is hitting. It's one of those things where we see that friendship kind of develop. And then Ader kind of somebody who really didn't want to do violence fought back and gave his life for Goku at this point. And this is what Goku awakens to. And this is when we see something very reminiscent kind of happen. We see Goku kind of stand up and kind of um, uh, realize that Ader is, is no longer with us. And we see this triggering of a surge of power that feels very... Super sane, reminiscent, doesn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. It definitely touches on those same those same beats as we see Goku's energy kind of burst out as he screams and cries and kind of swirl up into the air. Again, beautiful scene, absolutely gorgeous, and the scream from our voice actor here for Goku, phenomenal. Had me in tears in this scene. It, it's fantastic, and. And Commander Black is taunting Goku and just being the villain. And th that's where Goku delivers this line. I thought this was a very well-written line. Goku says, that's what really happened to you, right, Grandpa? When you said that you had to go. Now Ader's gone too, but he wasn't ready. And he was my friend. And you took him away. I'll never let you do that again. Never. Goku's screaming the last part of that. I'm glad you wrote that down because I wrote it down too because holy shit man it's a beautiful line beautiful delivery by the voice actor again for goku and man you can hear the emotion in his voice it is so good especially as he has this realization about his grandfather there are so many great tiebacks to grandpa gohan in this movie it's phenomenal writing i can't say enough good things about this yeah and it's i mean it it's to me, it's important, too, because it's almost a piece of Goku kind of growing up, right? It's kind of yeah. actually dealing with what happened to his grandpa, because he always said he, he went away, he's gone, he went somewhere. And now it's just like, I get what you meant now. And just that it's that next step in, in, I guess, maturing. And it's fantastic. It's beautiful. And this kind of rage boost from Goku culminates in him firing off another Kamehameha at this robot that it was already ineffective against. And Commander Black is just laughing like, hey, that didn't work the first time. What do you think it's going to do the second time? And that ends up being his folly as the Kamehameha blasts through the interior of the robot and explodes, detonating, a, presumably killing commander black at this point and settling the conflict yeah and it's it's interesting because they they do something here that's very unexpected and what should be a 
a, a an event for celebration. The big baddie's gone. We've defeated him. Rather than, I guess, um, a cheer and, and laughter, we get Goku letting loose a final scream of pain over his long or over his lost friend. And that was it really puts into perspective kind of the mindset that Goku had during this this boss battle. And I don't know. It just it worked. It's it feels like it's the way it should have been. And it was written very well. Yeah, the tone here is so much different than in in the anime. It it feels it feels darker. It feels more serious. It, it I mean, we have Goku struggling with the concepts of of life and death and friendship and all in less than an hour and a half movie it's great and we we basically have just one more little scene here to kind of wrap up this movie as our party uses the dragon balls summoning the eternal dragon shenron and they begin to discuss what their wish is going to be. Yeah, and we get Balma debating, making her wish for the perfect man. But, you know, after laying eyes on Yamcha, a man doesn't get better than that, right? Hey. And so yeah. and so she hesitates to make her wish. But that's when Goku kind of arrives unseen with lifeless Aider just kind of strong over his shoulder. And he asks if the dragon can bring Ader back to life without the bomb inside of him. And the dragon says, your wish shall be granted. And the last thing we're left with is Ader's voice coming back to life. And we end our movie wrapping up with the Dan Dan Kokoro opening for Dragon Ball GT, which is one of my favorite Dragon Ball songs, by the way. And it cuts to credits. Holy shit, this movie is so good. <laughs> yeah, I I really like this movie. And I want to say I had critiqued the series for wanting to use the first revival wish on some guy I had never heard of or cared about, really. And in this, oh. the wish feels so much better. And somebody who I'd kind of gotten to know and knew meant something to Goku. This feels really good. And I like this change of direction. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I, I kind of wonder, I wonder how this movie would hit as a standalone. And, and I have some thoughts about that, like overall, but even what you're talking about with bringing Ader back, because we just got done watching the series where, you know, Ader and Goku have episodes to develop their relationship in the movie. It's only an hour and 20 minutes long, and it does feel good because Ader basically attacks Goku and then stops attacking him to basically save him, even going so far as to put his own life on the line instead of killing Goku so I think that there's a lot to be said for the audience, how they feel about Ader and his morality and everything. So I think it would probably still land decently well, even if we didn't have the background of the original Dragon Ball series. Well, and, and I wanted to make a comparison because I'm a big fan of um, Full Metal Alchemist. I really enjoyed Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which was kind of the the revamped version of it and also when they made the original i don't think the um 
the the story was finished being written at that point. So they kind of made up the later half of it. Um, in the original series, they did a much more fantastic job of writing the character relations between a lot of the characters because it was slowed down. You spent more time with a lot of the characters. And so when certain events happened, it hit a lot harder home. It, it felt more meaningful. Whereas Brotherhood, it almost felt like they were trying to zoom through the original stuff that they were just recapping. And I feel like you miss something in there when you're doing kind of a quick run through like that. Sometimes at slower pace is absolutely necessary. And the message hits differently when you actually spend more time in something. That's a really good comparison. I feel the same way about Full Metal and Brotherhood. And while Brotherhood to me is absolutely the better medium to watch that story, it does lose something in in the early interactions with Hughes. the characters. <laughs> yeah, without giving it away too much. Uh, <laughs> Hughes is a big deal in that show, and you don't feel as connected to him in that first half. And I, I feel like if somebody watched this movie without watching the show, they might have a similar feel. What do you think? That's kind of, like I said, after I finished watching this, it was, there are some things that I think there needs to be, we need to spend more time on it. Otherwise, it just, it doesn't feel like it makes sense, right? Like Goku's power. We have no training with Goku. He did not train under Master Roshi one single bit. As far as, if you just watched this uh, this movie and then moved on from there, you would think that's like, why does Goku care about this guy who looked at Balma's bits and gave him a cloud so much. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of the downtime that gets skipped over during a movie. Right. And that downtime, sometimes it's filler. Other times it's building character relation. And that's, what's kind of lost in this. Uh, Metallotron's not somebody who's memorable at all. After watching this, um, even commander red is kind of forgettable. After watching this, we spent almost zero time with commander red Blue feels like a he's in the movie, what, a grand total of 35 seconds. And these are all characters that I really enjoyed in the series. And while I love the animation and I love this because I've seen the series, I will recap it by watching this. But I do think this movie is infinitely better with the padding of of watching the series behind you. I very much agree. <clears throat> I think, honestly, my biggest complaint probably my biggest overall complaint about this movie is the fact that we don't get any training with master roshi and one of the reasons that that is so important to goku and his story is because goku fights the red ribbon army throughout this movie but we don't feel like he had to work to get to that point yes he just kind of the default setting was good enough, right? Yeah. he. It's just like, okay, well, you're a strong kid. Like, you could maybe justify it and say, okay, well, you know, he trained with Grandpa Gohan, and that's how he got so strong. But we don't get to take that journey with Goku. We don't get to see him go from, you know, pretty strong kid to, holy crap, he could arguably be the strongest kid on the planet. Uh, and then get to see that payoff as he deals with the Red Ribbon Army. We basically just get, all right, kid, you're strong. Go beat some dudes up. <laughs> <laughs> and this is different than, say, our Battle of uh, Battle of the Gods um, 
movie review where I felt like the movie was strictly better than watching the series. I don't think I really lost any content by just watching the movie, right? Whereas here, there's different reasons to watch either one. And so I think this movie is really well done. And I also think the series is really well done and you're going to get different things out of them. So I really need to compliment them on offering me different experiences with the movie versus the series. There's reasons to watch both of them. I agree. Honestly, I wish that Toei Animation had taken some more time with this movie. I wish that they I wish this movie got expanded out to about a two hour feature. I wish that it had a little bit more room to breathe and it slowed down and expanded out the pacing just a little bit. And I wish in about the middle of this film that we would have gotten a training montage with Goku and Master Roshi. Could have been two minutes. Two minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. Give us like a Rocky montage, man. Like that's all (laughs) I need. (laughs) It doesn't have to be long. Uh, You can skip some of the time forward as Goku and Roshi train And then there would have been such a better payoff as Goku obliterates the Red Ribbon army. And we get to go on that journey with him as he gets strong enough to do so. And even give him give him one of the guys, one of the Red Ribbon army soldiers, whether it be Major Metallotron or Commander Blue, somebody who he can't defeat. Maybe they beat him the first time around. And then Goku gets to train with Roshi and beat that same adversary later on, which would be, you know, again, we're getting that payoff. We're getting to see that growth in his character. Yeah. And I think, um, I think that leads to probably my, my biggest critique. And it's not even a huge critique because I very much enjoyed this movie. I thought this was a fantastic movie, but I'm going to critique it. The pacing is an issue. They're trying to jam too much into too short of a period of time. And so, yes, we go over the story, but unless you've seen the series, a good chunk of this story would be very confusing. And in certain cases, it's just glossed over like, oh, yeah, here's Oolong. Keep going. And oh, yeah, here's Yamcha. Keep going. And why even this movie didn't even need Yamcha introduced, really, other than to change Bulma's mind on her wish that that was if I had not seen the series. And I watch this movie, I'd be like, oh, well, that guy's there. So that way she wouldn't wish for a, a hotter man. Yeah, uh, that's his honestly his primary role in this movie. And and that's why they kept him in there. Right. Is so that Balma can go on this journey and be like, well, I don't need the Dragon Balls anymore. And Goku can get his wish. What I want is just a highly like highly budgeted slash animated version of the World Martial Arts Tournament. Just give me 80 minutes of that. Just an 80-minute fighting, just fight-a-thon. Oh, my God. I would pay so, I would watch that in theater as many times as they would let me in. If they animated it, I mean, even just animating it like this movie is yes. animated, I'd, I'd be so down for that. I would be, you know, I'd, I'd pay so much money to see that happen. But, wow. oh, I want it. <laughs> Honestly, I'm I'm trying to think about the more recent movies that have come out in terms of animation. This one's up there. Like this has got to be top five easy. It, it oh, looks yeah. so good. It looks fantastic. And it's one of those things where you're just, I keep forgetting that it's from 1996. That's how good the animation is. But that's also what you get when you're, you're not rushed. You have the budget. You can put something nice together and, while I get that the they were trying to fit a lot of show in a small, I guess, time frame, 
the animation never became an issue throughout the entire movie. It looked great. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, there were never periods of time where there was repeat animation. There were never times when the character models felt like they were off model. I mean, there's, I have zero complaints about the animation. It was phenomenal. It was very fun also getting to see kind of some redesigns of the characters, getting to see Balma with her more purple hair, getting to see Goku in his, his blue gi with the yellow pants. I prefer like orange. The, <laughs> I I will say though I like this uniform or this outfit better than his outfit in the beginning of Dragon Ball and just like his plain blue gi. I'm not a big fan of that look. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't like the purple as much because I'm a little bit purple colorblind, so I'm going to veto that one. <laughs> the purple hair for Balma? Um, or, I didn't realize it was mean... purple. Um, let's just keep going. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> um yeah, but one thing that I kind of wanted to talk about here. So we also, in terms of comparison, we're missing we're missing chunks of the story, right? We're missing the Pilaf gang. We're missing Krillin. We're missing Chi-Chi. We're missing the Ox King. So, and I mean, if you continued this story, if there was like another movie, Path to, Path to Power 2, you could add that stuff in, right? But it's interesting to experience OG Dragon Ball through the Red Ribbon Army without those characters. Yeah, and I mean, it's a big part of the Dragon Ball series is also like character growth. And we really don't get a ton of that in this. We, I mean, we get Goku, um, like I said, kind of maturing and accepting his grandpa's fate and that sort of thing. But outside of that, it's just, I mean... To some degree, it's kind of Dragon Ball junk food, but it's the best Dragon Ball junk food I've had because it is just fighting and action and just what I'm in. That's why I'm here for Dragon Ball. I'm interested in that stuff, and it delivers all of it in spades. Yeah, I I very much agree. And it's it's visually pleasing. It's fun to watch. It's, it's very fast-paced, and that's maybe its biggest downfall. But it even goes, especially with the dub here, it goes so far as to add these incredible details about Goku's backstory, some great elements with the relationship between Ader and Goku, and this kind of like noble sacrifice from Ader that gives what would be in the series almost like this first emotional rage boost for Goku. It's it's so good. Like, it's so well done, despite the tiny little nitpicks that we have about this movie. I I would love to see another movie done in this in this style. Absolutely. This Absolutely. hundred percent. I would watch it in a heartbeat. I love this movie. I give it a solid. It's somewhere between an eight and a nine. I don't know where to give it, but it's an eight or a nine. I'm going to say eight point five. I was thinking on that too, and I think I'm going to have to give it a solid eighter. <laughs> You're going to wish for that back. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's very good. I, I'd probably give it about an eight out of ten because while it has, I mean, it's it's phenomenal. It does have problems with pacing. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a few little details that could have been added here that would have improved it for sure. 
Just like man. another 20 minutes of runtime, and I think they could have smoothed a lot of it out. Yeah, even giving me, I would have loved to see some of those fights expanded on. Yamcha's fight would have been fun to see longer. Major Metallotron was 20 seconds long. I would have loved <laughs> to see more of that. Mm-hmm. But, and maybe even a little bit more with Commander Black, just a little bit more. I would have taken more with that. We didn't get to see... It's not a lengthy exchange, uh, but I think they hit the key moments that they need in that fight. They the did. key emotional bits, anyway. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm like I said, loved it. Looked great. No complaints for a 1996 movie. Um, it looks way better than it has any right to be. Yeah, I very much agree. I, I mean, I could keep gushing about this movie all day long, but I, I think I've, I've pretty much said all I have to say about it. Did you have anything else you wanted to discuss, or does that kind of wrap things up for tonight's topic, Dayton? Uh, nope. I, what a great movie. I'm going to say that again, but what a great, watch it. If you haven't seen it, just freaking watch it. Yeah, I, I very much agree. It is fantastic, but that's it for this episode of instant transmission, where we discuss everything dragon ball. This has been your host, Todd and Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we continue to follow Goku in his journey to adulthood. He'll have a special sort of challenge as he and his friends take on Baba's haunted house of horrors in the fortune teller Baba arc. What fighter could know all of Goku's weaknesses? What does an invisible man and a nosebleed have in common? What does Krillin's bald head taste like? Find out a next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, Stay safe out there, and remember to keep rocking the dragon. I can't believe Dragon Ball Z is fucking like 50 years old. Oh, my God.